0: to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment, to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 72 of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having an amazing, amazing start to your week. This week's guest is Mr. Yannick Silver. So you guys may have heard me mention Yannick's name in previous episodes or in any other podcast that I've been a guest on because it's safe to say that Yannick is the reason I have the companies that I have today. When I first started my coffee company, Java Press, I was doing it for the money, chasing financial goals, burning out and not really clear on where I was headed and why I was headed there. Uh, I met Yannick, I saw him speak on stage at an event. At the same time, he was coming out with his new book at the time, Evolved Enterprise, uh, and I got a free copy of the book. I read it on the plane ride back, and nothing has been the same since. Yannick is redefining how we build and do business in the 21st century. He's the founder of Evolved Enterprise and Maverick 1000, and his mission is to catalyze the catalyst, and through his work, he empowers entrepreneurs to follow their heart and put fun and purpose at the heart of business. And as more businesses follow this lead, the ripples of impact spread further and further. So really Yannick helped me find uh, the purpose, the passion, the mission behind Java Press, which actually ended up being Stay Grounded. So to be to be completely honest, I don't know if Stay Grounded would be here in its form and the way it is helping people now if Yannick hadn't uh, guided me along the right path. And so. I mean, his work is so powerful that he's been praised by Richard Branson. It's been featured in Wired, Time, USA Today, Entrepreneur, everywhere. And so if you're an entrepreneur who's at Crossroads and you feel like there's something more that you could be exploring through business, this episode is for you. And uh, I'm really excited for this. So. I hope you guys, I'm like a little speechless. I'm usually not very speechless, but I'm a little speechless just because uh, I've been wanting to have Yannick on the show for a very long time, and uh, I'm really, really, really grateful that I got a chance to sit down and and get to know somebody who's had such a profound impact on my life in such a way. And so I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Um, but before we get started, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to us on any of the podcast apps, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, is your jam, I love it. Please subscribe, join in on the conversation. Uh, Whatever you learned from this episode, leave it in the review. I read all of them and I appreciate all of it. And so anyways, guys, uh, I'm going to stop talking because I'd rather just hear Yannick talk. So without further ado, here is the brilliant Mr. Yannick Silver. Yo, 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 welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded, Hope. Everyone listening is having a fantastic day. I'm like a kid in a candy store right now because I get to be talking to literally one of my favorite people on Twitter, Mr. Yannick Silver. How are you, Yannick? Hey, Raj. Thank you. Appreciate it. Man, uh, I've definitely name-dropped you a couple times in previous episodes just on some of the impact you've had in my life, not only from Evolved Enterprise to Maverick to just a lot of the way you dance with the world. So the audience is already somewhat familiar with who you are. But uh, I'm excited, man. I'm so glad to have you here.
1: Cool, yeah. So I'm looking forward to diving in, and we'll see where the conversation goes. I feel like I should be having a cup of coffee, but I'll usually have one a day, so.
0: Yeah, that, you know what? I usually only have one a day, too, and I already had mine, so I'm sticking to water. I see you're drinking your Croix. Is it Croix? Yeah. I, I don't know. Croix, but yeah. I don't even know. All right. Well, I already introduced you to the audience and okay. they know a little bit about you, but I guess I'd just love to start with a question I've always had of you that I don't know if I've ever sat down and actually had a chance to ask. But I mean, you got into just the marketing space very early on. I mean, you you were you were an originator, if you would. And then somewhere along the way. Your own personal mission sort of evolved, for lack of a better word. I mean, it yeah. kind of evolved into a much bigger scheme. I mean, was there a defining moment or a point where you
1: felt that transition happen? Or was it something that happened naturally over time? So I call it the cosmic alarm clock, where it's like everyone's, you know, the timing is different for everyone. And it goes off and like, you can either hit snooze or you can, you can answer it. And it's uh, usually like kind of a bunk on the head and that bunk on the head is going to continue to get louder and louder unless you answer it or, or numb it out with, you know, whether it's drugs, alcohol, you know, you name it. But, but it's like, it's that knock on the door of, you know, are you, are you really doing the work that you're meant to be doing? And, and for me it was, you know, outside looking in, in the internet marketing space, digital marketing space, making a lot of money, helping a lot of people, great reputation in that space, which isn't that easy to do. And, you know, all the things that you would sort of look at and be like, yeah, he's got it figured out. And, and then I asked myself, you know, am I happy? And would I be happy doing the same thing 10 years from now? And the real answer was no. And then that started this whole sort of evolution and, and quest of, okay, so what would that really look like? And I have a saying and a quote, essentially, that says uh, that following your heart is frequently scary, but never wrong. And it feels like you're sort of jumping off a ledge. And especially if you've had success. So then it's like, you know, okay, how do I not lose everything that i built before, but I feel so compelled and moved to that there's got to be a greater expression for what I want to do into the world. And that's really been the focus of my exploration, my work for the last 10, 11 years. You know, what I've always admired about you
0: is how you tend to find a way to connect one part of your life to another. And it almost seems like it's like a seamless connection when it might not seem seamless to the outside world. Like, I mean, I, I know in my life, I mean, I, whenever I tried drawing dots and connections, I mean, it's, it just seems natural for you. So has this always been a skill you've had or did
1: it get better over time? I mean, I think that as we progress, you get some elevation and you get to start seeing, okay, something that I looked at was like, Oh, that was a really crappy moment in that time, but actually ended up being, a really amazing thing when, when we step back and, and look at it. Like, I mean, going back to my background, so we're a Russian immigrant family. My dad came over and my mom and grandmother for, with about $256 in his pocket or something like that. And not real much use of the English language. And, and then within about I think six to eight months, he ended up starting his own medical equipment sales and service company because he was going to get booted out of the hospital he was working for if he didn't stop moonlighting on the side and repairing medical equipment. And so I grew up like working for my family business. And when I was fourteen, I was telemarketing. When I was sixteen, the deal was I went out and cold called if I got a car. And I remember like telling my dad, "I'm like, I want to live at the beach." He's like, "No, Mister John, like you work." And I'm like, this is, <laughs> "This is you know not that fun." But looking back, like I got the greatest head start I could have gotten. I mean, fourteen in sales, sixteen actually you know, cold calling, working with doctors who were at least double, triple my age at that time. And then it really turned me on to direct response marketing. So my uh, doctor clients gave that to me. And it's like I was able to then experiment in my dad's business with copywriting and advertising that really worked. And that really helped grow my skills to what was needed for this next stage. So it's like looking back, you're like, wow, this was yeah, it seems seamless. And it was like a perfect setup for what was next and what was next. But you know, in the moment, I don't think I was like, yeah, okay, great. This is going to be a perfect setup for me. But I've gotten to the point where I can trust more that everything happens in the right way and unfolds in that right way.
0: Why do you think people don't spend time connecting dots?
1: I don't know if they need to connect the dots as much as helping them create a better story for themselves. So we're all, you know, meaning making machines, right? We're all like we all have a story that we're running about something, whatever it is, whatever happens, right? Like we miss the, I don't know, my kids missed the bus or something. Then, you know, my story is like, ah, oh, whatever they, you know, they should have got out earlier, you know, they're fooling around in the morning on their phone or whatever it is, or the story could be, Hey, great. I get to spend an extra 10 minutes with them in the car and I have an opportunity to help program them for the day or something like that. Right. So we have the opportunity to set our context and what we want So I think the sooner you can get to that spot with whatever's going on in your world that you're like, okay, even asking the right questions, like how could this be a bigger setup for, for something even more, you know, that, that could be a really exciting thing. I feel like asking better questions is a
0: function of courage though. The more courage you have, the bigger questions you ask in your life. Or I feel like at least in my experience, just in my journey, like, and I don't know if you resonate with this, but you know, there was a point in my journey where I felt like I had to start asking myself bigger questions because I felt empty. And mm. so that changed a lot in my life because I was comfortable asking bigger questions to maybe in some ways even risk what I was experiencing in that moment. What's like one of your favorite questions? Well, one of the, I mean, it actually came from, from you. I remember when I, when I first read Evolved Enterprise, you know, it was the biggest question was asking myself why the hell I wanted this company to be successful that seemingly was making so much money. But, for some reason, I felt empty and not connected to it, but that forced me to change everything about what I was doing, and that 's a scary thing. It is a scary thing, yeah like that courage, right like to ask hard questions where Where can people find that courage, and why' don't, why aren't people naturally disinclined to asking themselves bigger questions?
1: I think it's just so easy i 'm going to speak from a North American perspective, but it, it applies pretty much to the whole developed world because it 's so easy to just be quote unquote normal, like to just hang out, you know, watch Netflix, to hang out on social media and scroll f- through your feed and, and just be like, okay, well, whatever. I just gotta get through my day. But it's not the I don't think it's the norm to really go out and go ask those those hard questions because then that comes with difficult answers that you then have to face. It's like the you'd rather just not know. Yeah. But but at some point, you're going to wake up and, you know, again, like this cosmic alarm clock, you can either hit snooze or, or, answer, or actually answer it. And you're going to have to look at, okay, you know, what am I doing? Like, is, is there a greater purpose? Like, we, we're definitely all driven by purpose and mission. And, you know, that's why one of the pieces that I teach in Evolved Enterprise is how do you get that purpose and mission with your company? But first, it starts with you. You can't change what's going on unless you start working on Yourself, and that's a constantly evolving process. But it does come from, to me, my you know, some of the ways it comes from is the question So asking really good questions of yourself.
0: How many cosmic alarm
1: clocks have uh, you hit? Snooze? <laughs> have I hit snooze on? Oh man, I don't know. Not that many. I think maybe maybe a little bit. As far as like, I'm like thinking back to the actual snooze bar. This is probably beyond beyond your time, but. Do you remember having an alarm clock that would have like an actual snooze button? That was a big ass button. I, I know what you're talking about, but I've never had it myself. So I would, rem- you know, I, I remember like, you know, for high school, probably even college, I can't remember, but high school for sure. Like the alarm would go off and be like snooze, you know, another five minutes, another five minutes. So I think there's definitely been times in my life that I've hit snooze, but it's for like those five minutes and like, you don't get any, it's not like you get great sleep when you hit snooze for five more minutes or whatever it is. It's like, it's just the inevitable. And then it comes back bigger and bigger. Like I, I think there's like this little voice that, that is always speaking to us. And it's like, it's going to get louder and louder or again, or you're going to numb it out and just pay attention to it. So I think it's like a little bit of your your soul kind of dies every day that you're not doing something that you were meant to do. So what happens when you are doing stuff you're meant to do Does your soul thrive? Does it grow? Does it change? Does it evolve? Yeah. I mean, I think you can see it with like, you can just tell when people are on, on purpose, like there's, there's a certain, like they don't have to be like, okay, I jump out of bed and I'm, you know, I can't wait to hit the day. I'm hustling, I'm grinding, I'm doing all those things. Like I don't believe in that part because I think that's, a really hard thing to sustain over a long period of time. But I think there's like this inner fire that continues to burn and it's going to show up in these different ways where um, it could be hustling and grinding for one period of time, but really it's more about I feel on purpose that I know that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like singing the song I was meant to sing. I'm part of this cosmic mosaic and I'm, you know, that that piece that I was meant to, to do. And And that only comes from self-exploration and and it continues to change, right? But to me, I think the essence of it remains the same. So if I look at, you know, what is my purpose? It's to catalyze the catalysts. So it's always been about like nudging people, instigating people, but the right people, the people that have tremendous reach or leverage or can, and then to even get them to show up in a greater way. And it's been happening for a long time where you kind of just go, like, if you look back naturally, like, what did you love to do as a kid? What, what really lit you up, you know, even from the last couple of years of whatever you've been doing, you're, you're going to find little hints and clues to what, what you can be doing. And all of this is kind of like a, an amazing sort of treasure hunt that we're continually finding. And then the more you start paying attention, the more magic and synchronicity start showing up that start lighting your way towards, towards some of this stuff. And I totally agree.
0: I'm curious. uh, So you described purpose as like this fire inside, right? It's like this plan difference between purpose and passion. Are they both the same thing?
1: You know, I think passion can be, feels like it's almost like the difference between happiness and joy Where happiness could be fleeting. It's like having the ice cream cone is makes you happy. And then if you eat three ice cream cones, you're going to have a stomach ache, but joy is feeling fully utilized. Like you're truly putting everything that you've got out and to me passion can be something that can wane but purpose is our gps keeps us on track of where we're going and i look at joy as our gps joy to me is our gps of where we're heading and then pain are the guardrails and so the the more in alignment you are in the book we talk about uh connecting your head your heart and your highest purpose and so the more in alignment you are it's the easier it is that you travel through Towards joy, which is always beckoning us forward. But if you're not in alignment, then the pain guardrails are wider, and then you're just sort of you know bonking back and forth, and the universe continues to hit you on the head harder and harder to move you into the direction that you're meant to go. You're saying that when you're in alignment, you don't fall as hard. Yeah, it's it's almost like the middle path, which is uh, that, that there's a balance. Like if you look at a, a pendulum, you know how it swings left to right, and but when there's not as much of a swing. Like there's not as much of these high, high highs and there's not as much of these low, low lows. You're just following, you know what you were meant to do. I mean, um, one of my favorite works that explores this a bit is uh, the surrender experiment, Michael Singer. And it's really just talking about, okay, allowing the flow of life to like surrender to what is, and and what's kind of beckoning you forward and, and, and allowing that to happen. And not in a way that I'm giving up, but in a way that I am, like flowing with, with life and surrendering to it. And it's, it's a beautiful sentiment that really works. I mean, I've always felt like
0: pain kind of helps me sharpen purpose or helps me uncover purpose or bring out different sides of this flame that I'm trying to foster. Do you run from pain or is it something that you sort of learned over time to start embracing just because you know you're in
1: alignment or how has that relationship changed? I think, yeah, I think it's changed. where. I looked at pain before as being something that you want to run away from as quickly as possible. And so I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, the Enneagram, which is like a nine. Yeah. So I'm a a seven on the Enneagram, which is that I'm looking for what's the next sort of interesting adventure or, or trying to explore everything and and be a connoisseur of all these different things. And, but that's also a, a way of deflecting pain because you're not dealing with actually sitting in what's, what's here and what's now. And, and so it's really easy to be like, okay, I don't like what's going on. So I'm going to go do another trip or I'm going to go distract myself with something else or whatever it is. And I think that as a society, we're not very good at actually sitting in our quote unquote pain. And it's just like the more you can actually, if you can actually let, you know, again, going back to the surrender experiment this, or this might be untethered soul that he talks about this, but allowing your heart to fully open, and then embracing it and then just letting it flow through. And that's what I've continued to, I, to, I think, work on and get better at is being really present and, and stay grounded as part of that is just uh, to allow all of that to come in and not run from it, but, but look at it and not look at it from the point of view of, oh, this is so terrible. But again, like set your context and set the meaning of okay, what is this? Like I love Viktor Frankl's work, which is Man's Search for Meaning. And in there, he was in, quote unquote, a lot of pain. But his reason why was so much stronger than what he was going through. And that allowed him to come through the other side and now to have, you know, impact on millions and millions of people. Yeah, it's almost like the, when you say the surrender experience, it's almost like you're,
0: you're letting go of the resistance to pain. Like you're allowing it to be there. I think resistance is what creates the suffering that then people associate with being bad pain. Right, like I mean, if you just let it go, it's just like a something you're going to experience. But then all of a sudden, you start to normalize it and you start to take the lessons from it, and then you're actually
1: grateful for the pain. Yeah, I mean, the sooner you can get to how is this a good thing for me? How is this serving me? Like, what is the beneficial byproduct? You know, what's the reason why I can take out of this instead of like, oh, why me? You know, how did why did this happen to me? What's you know, those are not empowering thoughts, and and you can tell a lot about somebody by their internal dialogue which is an external dialogue through their words that they use and what are they what are they saying to themselves in that way so that that pain it's like you can either experience it once in that moment or you can continue to get stuck in this cycle of going back to it and and whether it's guilt or shame or or just continuing to recount it and and, and regurgitate it really i think that, i
0: mean you bring up such a such a good point i mean if you don't sit down and actually appreciate the pain, experience the pain, you're never going to know that pain is showing up. You're just going to continuously keep
1: repeating patterns and keep going and going and going. Well, it's like, you know, I look at some of this time when I'm like, you know, I was thinking about, okay, what that, that whole question of am I happy and would I be happy doing this 10 years from now? It was caused by quote unquote pain, which was a bit of depression, a bit of like, just not feeling fully utilized, just feeling not bored, but just, just not like dull. And I think that's an aspect of pain. You know, for some people, pain is emotional. For some people it can be physical pain, you know, Sherry, right. I remember Sherry Aldridge. So I'll bring her up because she's a perfect example of physical pain. So she had, you know, she's very public about this. So she had her pinky finger ripped off in a, uh, an obstacle race. I can't remember which one it was. I think Tough Mudder. And you know, the pain of that, obviously the physical pain is tremendous but then the emotional pain of it, which came with her identity because she's a massage therapist. And so she uses her, her fingers as part of her livelihood. Well, what it really forced her to do then was to figure out how can I have greater leverage? So then she started, she already had a a massage school, but then she started teaching other people how to open up their own massage schools and create more and more leverage because she couldn't be the one doing the, the massage as much. And, you know, and then also, having humor in it. Like she has a t-shirt that says something like the best nine finger massage or you know, nine finger massage, because you can't handle all 10 or something like that. And, you know, I even got her a great picture with, uh, with Branson. We do an annual trip to Necker Island. And, and it's like a picture with, with Richard pushing down his pinky and they have like their, their fingers up like this. Right. And it's like, just the perfect little, little picture. And you know, so she's dealt with that continually over and over again, but I don't think she would have stepped into her highest level of service without experiencing that and that forcing her to look at how can she leverage beyond just her, her own fingers. Well,
0: I have a lot of questions, I too many questions for you, Yannick. But this particular one just here, when you talk about, you know, catalyzing the catalysts and yeah. vision for a future do you think you're really passionate about that because it's something that brings you joy or it's something that you want to prevent others from experiencing pain? It's almost like people either share their messages and go out and spread their truth so that they can save other people from experiencing pain. But then it almost seems like you're pursuing a beautiful vision that comes from just
1: and alignment in life. So is there other elements of both or is there one over the other? this might sound too true, but I don't care that much about alleviating the pain aside from alleviating the pain of them not doing what they're meant to do. Yeah. Like that to me feels like it it just feels like a a waste of potential when you're not doing what you were meant to do. And so I want to, I want to alleviate that part, but you know, I never really had thought about it actually until you mentioned it. So I think I'm more driven by what is the vision and the mission of what happens when someone steps into their really highest purpose and their true work that they're meant to do? Because then that creates these ripples of impact that that serve the planet in a, in a tremendous way. So I guess I am driven by both. but And I never thought about alleviating pain, but, it, but yeah, alleviating the pain of them not doing the work that they were meant to do. Because again, I feel like your soul dies a little bit each day when you're not doing that.
0: Yeah. I wholeheartedly experienced that, man. I mean, like, stay grounded wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. Like, I mean, that's a ripple that you created. I would have been slowly dying on the inside. And maybe, and you saved me from a lot of pain. Maybe it might have been delayed pain. I might have come around to it at
1: some point. But so I, I do feel like there's an element of both in just what you're doing. But yeah, I mean, you know, looking at you, it's, it's, it's great. I'm super proud of what you've done and what you've stepped into because I feel like you're just getting started. And you're really aligned and you're feeling on purpose because it's like, great, I had this e-commerce company that was doing well, but what's the real thing behind it? And uh, I was actually talking to um, an entrepreneur the other day as part of Mastermind. They had a coffee company and I mentioned I mentioned you a little bit about you know creating that higher purpose. And they're like, wow, that's really interesting and, and just such a great fit for, for coffee. And I'm like, yeah, you did a great job. Well, I had great mentors, so
0: thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, I want to transition over to, one, one thing I find
1: most fascinating about you is your doodling and Uh, journaling. That's why when, you know, people can't see on the video, but when I look down, it's always, (laughs) I'm always doodling something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I'm I'm curious, I guess, just to understand uh, the mind. Why do you feel like doodling or drawing helps
1: you sort of synthesize thoughts that are swirling in your brain? Yeah, I don't know if it totally helps me synthesize all of it. I mean, it's just something that, I mean, even as a kid, like in class, I would just doodle and I wanted to be a cartoon. I wanted to be a professional hockey player and a cartoonist in the off season was my, uh, was my goal. And then my parents put me in, uh, in like this fine arts after school art program. And I basically rebelled and I was an art school dropout because they wanted me to, to, uh, to sketch these, these beautiful, uh, you know, fruit bowls and things. And I wasn't, I wasn't into that. So it's been interesting, like coming back to the drawing. So I've always doodled a little bit, but never really thought too much of it. But but in my journaling process, and I, you know, I love journaling and I teach journaling that actually through my journaling process, I came back to my drawing and illustrations and and doodles and they connect with people in a deeper way just because pictures and symbols have a deeper meaning for, for everyone. Like, you know, words are one thing, but, but when you can really connect that left and right brain, it's, it's super powerful. And, and I think doodling does that. That's why, you know, mind maps are so powerful because you get a visual representation of what the concepts are. But I use it for for my journal and then this other project that I was just mentioning to you before we got started called the Cosmic Journal, which has been a really fun, interesting project for myself. When it comes to, like, I guess, visualizing the impact of your words, you're
0: an avid journaler. Do you yeah. have other mediums of, uh, I guess, art or creativity along with journaling and drawing? Do you watch movies? Do you... Engage in, in different, like, it, where does the inspiration come from? I guess, because you journal some of your journal entries. You know, like, I still have one of yours. The one, I, I think, uh, the, the one about trust, trusting, yeah, trust. Like, yeah, that, like up there in my room, just because awesome. it's, it's a beautiful piece, one, but it's got so much intention behind it. So, where does the inspiration come from when you're actually writing? Is it something that you're like, are you prompting yourself every day and then just allowing the pen to flow, or is it? Do you write stuff and then go back to it by pulling inspiration from different things? Like what's the what does it look like?
1: Well, so the journaling process is a little bit different than, you know, what you're mentioning. That was more of a I don't know, almost like a channeled writing in a way. But the journaling process, so each day, and I, I believe this is a great process for all for everyone to really just explore themselves a little bit more and and you set aside 10, 15 minutes a day. And for me it's it's usually before bed and it's just like starting with anything. It doesn't matter. It's just like where you're going to start is not where you're going to finish because it takes everything out of our heads and and creates this beginning, middle and end for us. And and otherwise, it's just going to keep rolling around inside our heads. And so sometimes I'll use prompts like a question. So if, you know, again, I love questions because your questions dictate your answers. So it could be like, you know, what would my 111-year-old self tell me? Or what would I do even if I knew it would fail from, from Brandy Brown's book? But and then you keep journaling about it or answering those questions, and then you know, so there's lots of process as well. But the like that piece, the trust piece, that came meditating at at a sunrise on Necker Island before the very first session we we're going to do that that year, and just me getting really clear on how I wanted to show up in that first session, and that's where it came from. It was just like this really beautiful download, and it and it showed up just like that, and it's really cool that. Uh, it's funny. I, I have the same one on my on my desk. It's just like uh, yeah, Sophia who, who works with me. She she's like this is really cool. It was like the first one that I read out of my journal at the end of the week, and then she turned it into this plaque, which then you know we we gave to people at camp as well. And and it's actually the very first entry in the cosmic journal. I did a, a rewrite of it, and it's just like a really really beautiful sentiment.
0: So how often do you feel that? When you're writing, it's coming from something that you can't really explain. It's
1: sounds like that's what happened right here. So I, I did this experiment. There's this challenge that, that goes around a couple times a year called the 100-Day Challenge or 100-Day Art Challenge. And it's like create a piece of art every single day. And so I really resonate with the identity of being an artist. And I think all entrepreneurs to me are artists, especially when they put their full heart and soul into what they're doing and, and what they look at. And so I've even gotten to the point where on my uh, immigration forms, I change it to you know I, I write an entrepreneur or whatever I write artist. You know again just like putting out the that the positive identity that you want. And so this challenge was a hundred day art challenge. I'm like oh man I don't I don't know if I can do it. I travel around so much I, I, I don't know if I would feel up to it. And I'm like ah whatever I'm gonna do it. And uh, and so it's me a hundred days is not as meaningful as a hundred eight days. There's a you know very symbolic mythological kind of aspect to hundred eight days or 108 the number. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. And so every single day, no matter if it's like two or three o'clock in the morning, I would create a piece of art. And for me, I was just like thinking, I'm like, okay, well, what I want to create. And the journal is like a piece of art for me. And I'm like, I'm going to create an illustrated art journal every single day. And it was really just for me. And so when I'm doing that, that does feel channeled. Like it felt, you know, a lot of times I would meditate and then I would have whatever came, came through me. You'd be also pulling out like years of journals and looking at some entries or looking at pictures that I wanted to have. So it wasn't just like sitting down blank page every single time and be like, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. But it was more often than not, I was like, wow, this is really, really good stuff. And it would just come really from, from some other places that I couldn't quite totally explain. Try explaining. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes from uh, like the clearer the channel you are, the more you're going to get a direct download from source. And by being a clear channel, that's the, you know, my my mindfulness practice, my meditation practice is going on five years now. And I, you know, I'm also very mindful about if I drink or don't drink, how I exercise, how I show up, like just, you know, the more, again, the, the clearer I am, I think the deeper the insights are going to be from source and from direct wisdom that way.
0: It's almost like you're really protective of
1: that direct wisdom.
0: It's almost like you know that there is like like if you want to show up in a certain way during through your art, it's almost like you've got these rituals with these practices. So like do you do things to maximize your odds of
1: just like direct channel source through life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean all those things that I just mentioned, right? The the, the meditation, the you know uh, I'll do yoga a couple times a, a week, the uh you know just the like making sure like I haven't fully decided if I'm not drinking forever and ever yet or not. But like right now I'm at like I don't know, two months in, of not drinking, but, but like all those little things add up in a, in a big way. And, and then just like being protective more about, to me, be about being intentional. So even like when I was doing that, it, there'd be a certain spot that I would sit on. <laughs> it was just in our kitchen Island, but I would make it a bit of a sacred spot and it was just like, okay, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd wash off that part of the, the table to make sure it was clean like just really paying attention and, um, you know, just a playlist that I love listening to on Spotify and, and actually that's inside this cosmic journal. Now people can get the download of the Spotify playlist. It's like a little hidden Easter egg in there. And all of that really set it up. Sometimes it'd be burning sage. Sometimes it would be like, I think the meditation is the biggest thing though, because it's set you up in a spot where, where you're just clearer. Why do you think we as human beings crave rituals? Oh, I mean, rituals are so powerful. It gets us out of, I think, our ordinary selves and our ordinary time into more extraordinary connection to non local connection to every connection to the universe, essentially, right? So, whether you call it God or source or whatever it is, like, but it forces us to say, okay, this is regular time, and now this is moving into something that has more meaning that's more special and has even more intention behind it. Because I think if we don't have intention, it's too easy to just get caught up in it's another thing. And it's just like, it, it, it's become special. And You can add a ritual to anything. So almost anything. Yeah. Can be special. Right. I mean, uh, you know, drinking a cup of coffee can be a ritual or it can be mindless, right? It can be whatever. So, so I think we have a lot of rituals and I'm more and more into, okay, how do we be, create intentionality behind what we're doing so it doesn't become this habitual thing? Like even, you know, so, so drinking, right? Like I love experiments. I have these 33 day experiments. I talk about it a little bit in the evolved enterprise book of, of just playing around because an experiment has a beginning and, and then an end. And then you see like, does it, does it help me or not? So, you know, one experiment was of not drinking for 33 days and then seeing what happened. And the very first time I did that, I had uh, I had a drink on my front step, like I had a half cold hard cider. I'm Like, all right, well, I don't know if that totally worked. So then I tried it again the next summer, and it was a little bit better. And then I've done things like you know, no sugar for thirty three days, and and having those two back to back. Actually, I dropped about twenty pounds, and it was like you know, it's huge. Wow. And it's just like, and I didn't even think I had twenty pounds to really drop. But but if you look at pictures of me now versus pictures of like you know a couple of years ago six, seven years ago, I'm like, who is that guy? Like, like wow, that, that guy's face is pretty fat. And just like, you know, a lot of my friends are like, you're aging in reverse. It's really interesting to see. And I think part of that comes from the purpose and and part of that comes from how you take care of yourself and what does that look like. But these rituals are are absolutely, they're, they're powerful and they don't have to be, you know, two hours of rituals and, and things like that. But I love you know, like how do you connect back to our natural cycle of the world, right? Like as humans, we've evolved with our earth here. And even like our calendars is not natural. There is the month added for for Augustus, to, you know, uh, because he wanted uh, he wanted a month all to himself. And then because Julius Caesar had July, right? So, so then Augustus had to have August and like, you know, the, the whole calendar has been a complete, like it puts us out of our natural rhythm. So the more you can connect back to those natural rhythms of of the world, which, you know, equinoxes, solstices, all these things, those are where where some of the rituals came from, or some of the bigger ones, because those were in the natural cycle of of our world. That is a super fascinating thought. I I didn't even consider,
0: yeah, you're right, the the calendar was man-made. It wasn't derived from
1: anything. It might have been derived from seasons, but even that, I mean, just Uh, not. not even, yeah. It's it's uh, not you know, like why should there be certain months that have thirty days and other days that have twenty eight? Or I, I go back. I love ancient wisdom, right, and, and indigenous wisdom, and and all to me, all of them have different parts of the puzzle. And, and you look at like the Mayan calendar; it's thirteen different calendars that they were tracking. And you know, so why were they tracking all these different calendars? So because there's cycles within cycles within cycles, and it's like the more you can know where you are within these cycles that gives you a spot to say, okay, this is the ritual that, that I need to tap into, or this is, you know, I, I can, okay. Yeah. I can see where I am on this wheel and what needs to be done next. And you know, that is the sea like cycles, like seasons are cycles, right? It's just like, if you're a farmer, you're in touch with the your land, you know, it's a certain type to plant and a certain time to harvest. It's not, it's just as us as humans. It's like for projects, we're working on the certain times of plants and there's certain times to harvest.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's almost like you're so damn curious about yourself and just curious about the intentionality of of how you align with everything that's happening in the world. Yeah, like I, I admire that so much. It actually sets a bar in general for my own life. Like, where does that? Uh, where do you think that
1: curiosity for life comes from? I don't know. I just love like as a kid, I was really into like sacred sites and Stonehenge and the pyramids and you know you name it, anything "quote unquote" weird. And I think I put that away for a long time just to focus on marketing and and all these things business related. And then it was like coming back now, almost like full circle, but at a different appreciation and a different level of awareness. And so it's almost like that. It's just been natural. So it's like continuing to look back at. I think from the ages of maybe eight to 14 or 15, if you looked at what you really loved, you can start finding these clues of of what was, what to re-explore again. And for everyone, it might be different. Like it's not going to be maybe the ancient wisdom and all these things. But, but for me, it's just like, wow, this is fascinating to me. And it's like continues to be fascinating. So that's why I, we incorporated it more and more into what we're doing with the Maverick group, with the group of entrepreneurs that we, we help them, you know, catalyze the catalyst, right? Like to me, it's not just the business side; it's it's the full spectrum development of, of who they are and, and could be. Yeah, and one thing I've
0: always kind of loved about you is, I mean, you're 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 crazy, dude. You love doing crazy stuff. Is that a part? Let me actually. This is always something I've, I've been curious about. All of the whether it's the stunts or the costumes or just different like adventures you're going on, are they ritualized or are they just? things you're doing because you love
1: doing different things i just follow my intuition and and gut and i'm just like yeah this is what i want to do and and for a while there i was very driven you know as a type seven enneagram like i was very driven by bucket list you know i caught the ultimate life list like okay i want to you know do these things and these things and and not as much anymore i'm still driven by adventure and experience but more it's not the same like if you you know, if you told me tomorrow, "Hey, let's go," I don't know, do a halo skydive, which I've done, which is at thirty thousand feet with the oxygen mask and so forth. I'm like, oh, you know, that might be cool, but I'd rather go go do a ceremony inside the Great Pyramid or something like that, which to me would be a much more interesting adventure. So I, I think it's changed a little bit over the years, but there's no ritual necessarily, but it's more about what am I called to do or feel like I'm I'd be excited by, it. and and you can gauge. You know, I think enthusiasm is a huge piece of it. What are you enthusiastic about? Because that's, again, like you have all these markers, but somehow we try and either rationalize them or try and put a logic aspect to it. Or, or you know, I, I don't know why I'm drawn to this thing. And then you're trying to figure it out, but who cares? Just, you know, go explore it and go see. And and let's like, you know, Steve Jobs, who you were talking about earlier about connecting the dots. I mean, you know, he's most famous for that quote. And you know, he studied calligraphy and he studied Zen Buddhism and he studied uh, a bunch of other things and they all, you know, converged together into some of his greatest work. I don't think he would have looked at it originally and be like, okay, I, I know I'm going to study this and it's going to turn into this. It's just like, whatever you're drawn to, there's a reason for it. And you don't have to know that reason just yet. Just go explore it a little bit. Read in. Yeah. Yeah. you like with your bucket
0: list, you know, I don't know if you literally knocked out every single thing on your bucket list, but maybe there were things that were more adventurous in nature that would have suited you at one point in life. Like, it would feel like a, a feel of like remorse that you didn't get to do those things at that time and now you're doing something else? I feel like there's a lot of people in life who have these giant bucket lists and then time goes by, life circumstances change, and then they don't get to do those things and there's almost like a longing to go back in time? How do you yeah. kind of balance the longing with just loving whatever you're loving right now?
1: That's a good, good question. I think uh, one part of it is actually truly mourning. Like, so if you are, you know, again, this is that feeling of pain, right? Like, so if there is something that you either have a regret of not doing or, or you're like, oh, I could have grown my business and been doing this or whatever it is, like you have to actually allow yourself to mourn it and then you can step forward. And then because it allows you to, to be like, okay, I'm, um, you know, I'm a different person right now than, than I used to be And And if it's still on your sort of, you know, your list of what you want to do, then by all means go explore it. Like I knew a guy that uh, wanted to be in the Olympics and after age 40, he's like, ah, I'm not sure, but he, he became a, a Olympic loser. Right. And, and like I had, I had on my list, I should be in the Olympics and uh so i'm forty five now and i'm actually my, i'm perfectly built to be a skeleton slider i'm five foot eight and sixty like the perfect size and so at one point I actually started exploring it and and so you know if there's one weird regret of not truly oh, not fully following like what what I really wanted to do, it might have been pursuing that, but I was like how the hell am I going to do this? Like I started exploring like how I could get into the Olympics. You have to be like a top 40 in skeleton and what that would look like. And you have to get on a team that was associated with the skeleton and bobsled Federation. And I was like, Oh, well maybe I could, you know, sort of like finagle my way in through uh, the, the islands of Samoa that are associated <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, i just trying to figure out like basically how can I be like the Jamaican bobsled team? Who knows? Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll go back to that. But, I don't know. I, I think it's really tough to live with regrets, and but I do think you need to actually address them. The, the more you keep coming back to it, the more it's going to stop you from what is what is next or what's showing up right now for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I love that answer. Just beyond because
1: it is another purpose for having rituals, I think, even if it's just uh, like, yeah, actually another one on my list was climb Mount Everest. I was, and, and I looked at it recently and I'm like, it's much more of a, almost felt like an ego like goal. And, and it was just like, I'm, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm willing to put in the the training and the suffering and the, like, I don't have a big enough reason why to go do that. It's not necessarily one that drives me. God, I have a whole suite
0: of questions on just the ego, but I guess I'm, I'd love to transition into the cosmic journal, actually as a 108 day sort of, artistic expression.
1: How much fun have you been having with it and what have you learned from creating? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing was that it was just for me. It was just something that, you know, I didn't have a grand plan that I'm going to publish it and what's it going to turn into and and no attachment to it. It was just like, but I had the commitment. Like so I think that's huge. It's like the the commitments that we keep to ourselves, they they really strengthen our identity of of who we are, that we're that person that keeps commitments. Like that And that's the greatest commitment is to ourselves. So, and you can start small. So it's like with these experiments, even if they're, you know, it's like a two week experiment or something about what you want to change in your life or what you want to do more of. And so for this, it was, it, it, you know, it just felt like being prolific created even more, like it just got deeper and deeper into this channeling aspect of, of tapping into the wisdom of the universe and so forth. And And so the Cosmic Journal is really designed for like, your your galactic instruction manual that you wish you had when you were born that would actually help you put out your greatest work in the world, and so it was written for me, right? I, I wrote it for myself, and then as I started getting deeper and deeper into it, I started showing it to a few people, and they're like, "Oh, holy crap! What is this thing? This is really amazing. You need to do something with it, and you need to publish it." And then one of my friends, you know, Eric Lachtefeld, that he's all about bliss, and and he's like this gives you a tremendous amount of bliss. I just see how you light up about it. And he's like, I want to, I want to get a thousand of these copies made and put out there. I'm like, okay, awesome. And so like him having that, I don't know, nudge for me to go do it because he was going to pay for it. And it's just like, I, I didn't, I wouldn't allocate on my own to go do it because I'm like, ah, oh, I have better stuff. I can, I'm going to spend our money on in our business than this you know, random project. Yeah. <laughs> and him forcing me to do it, it, it like turned it into a real thing. And and so then I sent it off to an artist who scanned in all my my works, and then like it turned into this little two by two pages. It was like the craziest uh, layout I've ever done in my life, because you know all my other books I've written have been very they've been outline driven. You know it's like hey this chapter I know what I'm going to have in there. I'll have a mind map on each one. Like this was not written to like there's no quote rhyme or reason for it. And so I had these little two inch by two inch squares on my kitchen island and I'm sorting them by what I think the theme is of them. And I have, you know, it's like, I'm up to like four o'clock in the morning doing it. And I have like a post-it note on there for my kids. So I'm like, don't touch this. Don't breathe on it. Like there's, you know, and they're, they're in the right order. And and then it forced me to also create these journal prompts, at the left-hand pages. And it, and it, and it also works like an Oracle. So I hear you tell me when to stop. I'm going to flip through this go so i'll read you one if you want like in the show notes or something we can we can throw this picture in there but it says what needs to die for something greater to be born i think that really fits the theme of what we're talking about so it says the natural cycles of life go from birth to death to rebirth but we do not need to die a physical death in order to see a rebirth it's an intentional death and surrender in order to have something even greater emerge the mind sign of of, uh, see me symbolizes death and the color is forest green. The forest is constantly in the cycle of life, death and rebirth, creating a beautiful order. Death as our collective ally asks you to cut away outgrown parts of you, your business and your life that no longer serve you. There's a natural vacuum that occurs when you create that space. So I can, you know, there's more to it, but that's, that's the general and that, you know, that's one of the entries. I've always believed that, you know, the best art or the best books or the
0: best, Podcast or whatever, the best form of communication or mediums, the ones that I admire most are the people or the books that are written for the person writing it. Yeah. The person consuming it. It's almost like like you started this project doing it for yourself, and now a bunch of people get to be flies on the wall, kind of observing you doing something for yourself, which is almost like tapping into that. It's like we get to witness two yonics, which is like the
1: divine yeah.
0: flow through yannick to something to some source and then like like this yannick that's teaching himself something about himself that's now on paper with doodles and journal props and all this stuff and i'm so excited
1: about that <laughs> yeah no i'm excited too it's uh it's like truly like one of my most interesting projects and it's cool and and so it just got picked up by a publisher actually the publisher that i i wanted to like the, it's a perfect uh, match for for this thing, and they're going to also turn it into an Oracle deck. So,
0: well, I can't wait, for
1: this out, and I'm going to
0: uh, shout it as loud as I can when it is. Yeah. And uh, for everybody listening, if you guys want a copy, I will make sure I include all of the notes and everything on just how you can
1: follow the journey, of the cosmic journal. That's right. I, I, I call it journaling as actually your journey home. So, oh, I love that. That's yeah. right.
0: Yannick, yeah, this has been a. A blessing, man. I, I loved getting to just dive down the rabbit hole with you and just, it's, it's, yeah, I love everything about you. I love you and I just can't, I can't wait to uh, read this thing. I can't That's wait right. to try my day to day ritual. I got one last question for you, Yannick. Okay. In the midst of everything you've been through, everything you continue to do and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded?
1: I think it's by having a few like non negotiables and now, One of those non-negotiables is meditating at least once a day. And that's become a a real bedrock and a touchstone for for who I am and and how it helps me stay grounded. I mean, it really does. And I I think if you would have asked someone, like, who was I? So this has been about a five-year practice now. And and if you would have asked them, you you know, Yannick was always a very relaxed person before. But now there's, I think there's something more to how I show up and and I think it it helps me connect in in like an even deeper way with with individuals and and it's just from connecting to myself on a deeper level I love it and I I think you've inspired me to really explore my meditation
0: practice more because I've been inconsistent with it since I moved to to Austin so I'm uh, I'm
1: inspired I mean I'm a believer in like five minutes a day is better than you know twice a week for 20 minutes or a half hour right like to me it's better to have that that small consistent piece because it builds on each other yep
0: 100% no I couldn't agree more but Yannick man I, again I'm so just grateful for for the time I uh love you and I know a, a lot of people are going to resonate with everything you're up to and everything you shared so um, guys like I said I will make sure you guys all get everything that Yannick is up to we'll have it in the show notes and I'll, and I'll throw some intros uh, in intro and all that good stuff. So anyways, cool. uh, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host Raj. This is your friend Yannick. And from the
1: stay. Thanks Raj.
0: Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life.